Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us again today. And at this hour, the heat wave here in New York City is on the waterfront, but the fountains at Domino Park are an instant anecdote to it. The just-opened re- uh, recreation area has rows of inviting water jets for kids to run through when temps soar. The park opened this past June. It's part of the Walentis Family Company's Domino Sugar Refinery Mega Development. Where is it? It's in Brooklyn, of course. Also at this hour, Brooklyn, one of New York City's five boroughs, sits on the western end of Long Island, the iconic Brooklyn Bridge. Built in 1883, connects it to Manhattan. Neighborhoods range from high-end Dumbo to Williamsburg, a hotbed of indie music, art, and nightlife, to beachfront Coney Island and its amusement parks. Leafy row house-filled districts include Brooklyn Heights and Park Slope. Today, we are all about Brooklyn. I'd like to, but first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. Good to be here today. Brooklyn is the most populous borough of New York City with a census estimated 2,648,771 residents in 2017. Named after a Dutch village, it borders the borough of Queens and has several bridge connections to the nearby boroughs of Staten Island and Manhattan. Since 1896, the borough has been coterminous with Kings County, the most populous county in the state of New York and the second most densely populated county in the United States after the county of New York, which it borders with the borough of Manhattan. In the first uh, decades of the 21st century, Brooklyn has experienced a renaissance as an avant-garde destination for hipsters with continuing gentrification, dramatic house price increases, and a decrease in housing affordability. Since 2010, Brooklyn has evolved into a thriving hub of entrepreneurship and high-technology startup firms and of postmodern art and design. It is the place to be. Brooklyn's neighborhoods are dynamic in ethnic composition. Given New York City's role as a crossroads for legal and illegal immigration from around the world, Brooklyn has evolved into a globally cosmopolitan ambiance of its own, demonstrating a robust and growing demographic and cultural diversity with respect to metrics including nationality, religion, race, and domestic partnership. Brooklyn contains dozens of distinct neighborhoods, representing most many of the major culturally identified groups found within New York City. Among the most prominent are Jewish American, Chinese American, Caribbean and African American, Latino American, Russian and Ukrainian American, Polish American, Italian American, Muslim American, Irish American, Greek American, same-sex couples and artists in residence. I think we cover everybody in this room, right? (laughs) With eight sales offices in Brooklyn, Halstead Real Estate is poised to dominate the marketplace. At the head of this very busy Brooklyn borough is Trish Martin, Managing Director of Sales, and Beth Kugel, uh, uh, Senior Director of Sales. Trish and Beth are making their second appearance on the show, so good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for being here. You're Let's get right at it. So, Brooklyn apartment prices averaged $869,587 in the second quarter of this year, 4% less than a year ago, and new development prices averaged 11% less than a year ago, while... Units saw a slight increase. Unit sales saw a slight increase in resale. So, what I mean, it's still hot. Things are still moving, but there has been a decrease in overall um, prices. I mean, is this consistent throughout the borough? And what's happening? Well, I think it's important to remember that when you're looking at prices and you combine them all, 
prices might be uh, experiencing something different in the resale market than they are in the new development. And when you pile them all in to get one statistic, then you're sort of getting a wee bit of a skewed view of what e- what is happening in each individual market. Now, let's talk a little bit about new development, though. So, you know, it seems to be down, you know, or flat, better said, you know, across the boroughs in Manhattan as well. Where, where do you see that moving in the near future, do you see that happening faster than resale, or do you see it kind of staying flatline along with resale, or not? I mean, uh, I, as I say, I think we're seeing an awful lot of new development. Mm. So I think that there's just so much on the market right now. But I feel that we still have um, new development in emerging neighborhoods that are really priced to sell, and I think that those are still going to have um, a good amount of interest. Interesting, the average townhouse price rose 6% over the past year to $1,153,000 across the borough. Why are townhouses hot over resale and over condo developments? So I think, you know, we've seen a couple of demographic shifts in New York City in recent years. So one is the, the move to the suburbs that typically happened generations ago is now being either delayed or not happening at all. So there's more and more demand for larger housing. And then if you look at the carrying costs, and particularly with the recent tax and uh, reform, you're looking at a comparable townhouse at whatever it is, $2 million, $3 million. The carrying costs on that house are dramatically less than the comparable carrying costs on a condo at a similar price point because you're not paying for the doorman and the services and the amenities. And the New York City tax code, as of yet, still remains very inefficient, such that a uh, $3 million townhouse is taxed at a much lower number than a $3 million condo. But so you combine, right, yeah. G- given Absolutely. the given yeah. the entree into a townhouse type of uh, uh, residential situation, sure. I would assume that there's a lot of renovation costs that need to go into, especially some of these houses in Brooklyn. In like many Manhattan. cases there are, yes. So how do people deal with that as, as, as home buyers who are looking for more space, want larger space for families as we talk about, but, but you have to, the monthlies are great, the monthlies are much lower by comparison, but the, the initial cost of renovation of bringing these houses up to where they need to be, up to speed, so to speak, how does that affect you know, a, a family budget or, or are you seeing that it really isn't? Well, I think it depends on the sub-market. So if you look at a market like Crown Heights or Bed-Stuy or Bushwick, there's a lot of developer flip type product that's available in those markets where a buyer can go in and essentially finance the developer's, rep- um, the developer's renovation. It's already done for them. If you look at a sub-market in Brownstone, Brooklyn, like Park Slope or Borham Hill or Cobble Hill or Bre- Brooklyn Heights, you're seeing a lot more product that needs renovations at the two, three, four million dollar price point, or you're seeing very renovated high-end product at a much higher price points that is accessible to a very small buyer pool. So I think it depends on the sub-market. And I think what Ari said about the flips is also why you see an increase in townhouses because Brooklyn is the only borough of the city. You know, maybe there are parts of Queens where a lot of townhouses and two-family homes are comparable price to condos. I mean, I had a bunch of um, clients over the last two years buy townhouses in fringe neighborhoods like Bushwick um, and Clinton Hill and Crown Heights just because they could buy it for like one six or one eight, as opposed to buying a two-bedroom condo for one eight in Park Slope. And without the town, without the um, tax uh, benefits now, with no four twenty one a, I think people are looking at it as a much more desirable buy. <laughs> Let me ask you guys something. So, because you you focus a lot on all 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 in Brooklyn, but so where do you see the the townhouse market? going to and say the next two to three to five years I mean you're, the average price is a million 153 which to you know Manhattan townhouse people that's a, a, an absolute steal and a bargain where do you see that price and let let's take it three to five years 
Um, absolutely, but I wanted to add one um, one commentary going back, which is in a lot of townhouses, someone can subsidize their purchase by renting out if it's a legal two-family, and that makes that option a little mm-hmm. bit more appealing, mm-hmm. and townhouses are so valuable because they're not making them anymore. So whatever you don't make anymore, no one's making, it becomes more valuable um, by virtue of the fact that you can't find them. Um, but I believe that townhouse, townhouse prices will continue to um, escalate, and I think all of us are hearing that $1 million price point and thinking we just need more of them. There aren't enough of them out there because the prices that we're releasing, things are selling at a much higher price point than that. And I think that uh, they will continue to escalate, although I do see in some neighborhoods like uh, Park Slope, the traditional brownstone neighborhoods, they're they're leveling off a little bit. They're not able to keep maxing out those prices the way they used to. I just have to say, though, you do talk about all these different segmented markets. Um, I had some buyers that we got into bidding war in Prospect Heights, Lefferts Gardens. Um, for we're talking a three million dollar townhouse price point, mm-hmm. renovated four thousand no Rutland yeah. Road, but um, renovated. It was a mm-hmm. flip. It was a buy and a flip, and it's mm-hmm. just crazy focusing mostly on Manhattan to then come here. And what's going on here? What are you talking about? It's a buyer's market. Well, these are emerging markets, and there's still room for growth. And I think that we're seeing that, and we're even noticing that those markets continue to see. Oh, sorry, to <laughs> continue to see um, increase in sales and the prices. There is room because the demand is higher than supply, and they're pr- and they're priced in a way that makes them very very attractive. A lot. Go ahead. And we also in the New York market, there is so much money here, and there are a lot of buyers who don't need to think like let's say, a normal buyer who says, I have to buy for X, put in Y, and it needs to be worth Z, mm-hmm. i.e. more than I paid and put a renovation in. There's so many buyers who say, I love this. I'm putting in this amount. I don't care what it's worth at the end of the day. So pushing that new product in five to 10 years, that's at such a higher spec than what, let's say, Brooklyn had 10 or five years ago. And then five years from now, those renovations are going to be Manhattan's uh, quality renovations, which mm-hmm are now starting to come and reset the market in certain neighborhoods, Park yes. Slope in particular. Yes. Town and developers are taking note because more developments you're finding have a townhouse play. Just mm-hmm. like in Manhattan, they're doing it more and more in Brooklyn. So obviously it's a trend. Trend. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As I mumble. So, developers love townhouses because they can sell every foot of the house. There is, okay. you know, there's incredible efficiency yeah. from a square footage standpoint. So when you build a condo, you have a loss factor in the hallways, in the uh, elevator, in the stairwell, in the lobby. It's common areas. When you build a townhouse, yeah. you can sell every foot of it. Um, the other point I wanted to make is when you think about Econ 101, it's supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the supply on the townhouse side is capped. You can't build a 100-story townhouse tower. It's impossible. So there's Thank a fine... Thank you. Uh, so there's a finite amount of supply, and as you have increasing demand and fixed supply, it's obvious that the price of the supply will go up, and that can never change in the long term. Let me ask you something. So when it comes to the townhouse market, how long are people staying in these homes versus apartments, right? We give it a five- to seven-year you know, residency, so to speak, in apartments here in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and, and wherever, but, but, but when someone buys a townhouse given they have to renovate it or not, how long, and mostly it's for multiple people, so a family, but how long do you see uh, in the borough of Brooklyn that people are staying in these homes? Compared compared to apartments. I think a huge factor of that is what the style of home is. I think that if it's a pre-war brownstone, I'm sure you're going to see a lot longer length of time that someone stays there as opposed to something that is a new construction, new build. Someone might be buying in Bushwick. Maybe they're going to buy like a 3,000 square foot townhouse for their first two kids. And then they'll have two more kids and buy a bigger one. I think it depends on the style. 
I um, also think one of the uh, points I wanted to make was that as the emerging markets come out, like, for example, Bed-Stuy is not emerging anymore. It, it has arrived. But as those townhouses start to come out, it puts a little pressure on the main market brownstone townhouses where everyone wanted to be because now you can get magnificent homes at the price points that you were talking about. And, and in Bed-Stuy, they're up to 2 and $3 million and, and, and going even higher than that. But I would say I agree with that. I still do think people are, are neighborhood specific. There are some people who just don't want to be a pioneer or they aren't quite ready for, you know, Bed-Stuy absolutely is no longer an emerging market, as you mm-hmm. said, but they might feel that it's a little grittier than somewhere, a, a different neighborhood close mm-hmm. to the park. So that is still coming into play. People will find the resources that, that's to very, more money for a little smaller space. Maybe that's not very as well true. done. Yeah. But on the flip side, Tracy, I love you. But on the on the on the flip side, come on, take me on, Maddie. Menchie, take me on. I think, I, think much, I think much more than Manhattan because you have so many neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, a lot of I different people like a fusion, almost like they're like their food. Um, I think that people, you know, there are so many points in Brooklyn where three or four or five neighborhoods meet that people actually find that they aren't as, I find that they're not as centric anymore. Like I just got a contract out on a new development with one of my favorite Brooklyn brothers, uh, Brooklyn brokers, no offense, anyone here, uh, Noah Planer, who's doing 280 St. Mark's. And my client said, I like Clinton Hill and I like Prospect Heights and I like Crown Heights. I kind of don't have a difference with any of them. And we everything we looked at was like in the point where they all meet. So I totally agree with you because the neighborhoods, um, as we discussed, and as you mentioned, they kiss. You're not, you, you don't have to be so married. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah, I, I love that. just made yeah. his morning right now. He is so happy. I was waiting so for us true. to get to the kissing part of the My conversation. My day is made. Um, <laughs> I forgot how much I love Trish. But I think you're exactly right, and we're seeing that more and more, and especially mm-hmm. as um, so many of the services expand throughout the neighborhoods, from restaurants to every kind of service. We won't go into specifics, but they're blossoming and they're blooming. People don't feel like, gee, if I don't live in Park Slope, I can't go out to eat at a great restaurant. If I don't live in Brooklyn Heights, if I don't, yeah. right. And actually, we're traveling out of those neighborhoods for dining. Right. Food outside of Park Slope. Yeah. 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 All right. Says the vegan. Yeah. As a Park Slope resident. Exactly. Says the vegan. As a Park Slope vegan. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, moving on. So we said overall Manhattan has cooled in comparison to Brooklyn in pricing, although down slightly from last year. Transactions are still up and seem to be continuing in Brooklyn. So we we all touched on it a little bit a minute ago, but why then so is Brooklyn, you know, the place to be, as, as I like to say these days, and why is it so desirable, and what is still bringing people, and, you know, later on in the program, we're going to talk about how people used to want to run from Brooklyn, but but they are running to <laughs> Brooklyn, so what is, what's going on, what's happening? Um, recently, one of the developers I'm working with, actually in Brooklyn, uh, recently said this to me, and I, it, it, it's stuck with me because I think most people always talk about Brooklyn as, you know, it's more neighborhoody than Manhattan. It's less urban. Like it has more of a suburb feel and people like to breathe and whatnot. And my developer said to me the other day, he finds that more and more people are moving to Brooklyn because it's becoming just as urban. And I, I thought that was an interesting take on it. Um, you know, obviously there are always going to be neighborhoods like Dipmas Park and things that are really far out there, like Sheepshead Bay that are not, you know, Gonna, I don't think they'll ever ur- urbanize, if that's a word. Um, 
but you know when you look at certain areas like where they're building in red hook um you know they're making downtown brooklyn with metro tech more and more you know tight i think that it's actually making things more urban um i mean look at the navy yards like i, I so i think that that's going to bring more people from manhattan I was going to add, so I mean, if you look at, I think if you look across the board in the U.S., there's a clear trend for people to move towards more urbanized areas. People want to walk more, they want to drive less, they want to be able to walk to restaurants, etc. And if you look at the geographical makeup of New York City, you've got an island of Manhattan, so you physically can't expand, obviously, unless people are going to start living in the river. And so, maybe Matt will. Um, <laughs> and so, Brooklyn, I think, is kind of that lifestyle blend between suburb and city that a lot of people are looking for, and there certainly are more urban areas to Matt's point, but I think that Brooklyn has become this global brand of cool and interesting and funky and different, still very much interconnected to the center of New York City, but with more breathability, with lower density, with lower building heights, with more, you know, birds chirping in the morning and park space, etc. And so I think people are looking for that kind of community sense that to a certain extent I think we're losing in Manhattan as Manhattan becomes kind of Disneyland for rich people. And nothing proves Ari's point more than just companies and corporations. Like, mm -hmm. obviously he, you know, WeWork is now a trend of the future of the now, and WeWork is buying every major piece of property throughout Brooklyn. And WeWork's um, Brooklyn desk rates are actually higher than Manhattan in some cases. There you go. Yeah, but it's a community, and I think yeah. that people who come to Brooklyn talk about those communities and talk about that idea that I feel like the way we live now on our phones and everybody's kind of disconnected in a way, the thing that most people come back and say to us is they've moved to Brooklyn and they feel a sense of community. They have that sense of touch with people. They feel connected. And they talk about living in Manhattan that they never had that. They didn't know their neighbors. People didn't care. And I think it's something that really brings us together and it's so unique about Brooklyn that people really, really feel tied to those communities I, I mean, and pride. I, I can speak to that. I grew up in Manhattan House and maybe knew about four or five people in the whole building. I also grew up in Manhattan, and Brooklyn was no, a well, total... Manhattan different. House on 56th Street, which is now, yeah. you know, that's a whole other story. Uh, but, but, uh, totally different vibe, and, and yeah, then totally went, different. And, you know, 10021 at that time was, yeah. that was it. Mm -hmm. That was the zip code. That was it mm -hmm. yeah. in the whole U.S., and mm -hmm. that is now not it. Exactly. I moved to the East Village, and that I felt a better sense of community post-college in the East Village, but I never felt anything like I felt since... I moved to Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even on the same you, same specter. And it's because that in seven years, eight years, the neighborhood has completely transformed. I think one of the big things is the retail landscape, mm -hmm. which was barren. And then all of a sudden, the best of the best could come out and do things, especially the newer restaurateur mm -hmm. or what have you, where yes. they couldn't afford to do it in Manhattan. And if you look in 2016 in Williamsburg, Three of the top ten restaurants in New York City by the New York Times were in Williamsburg. Yes. When we, Ari and I actually opened a bar in Williamsburg, and our bar, you, no one really knows we are behind it because you would never want to go. <laughs> news, 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 news flash. Yeah. Didn't know. It a, it's Donna. It's, ruin the cool yeah, factor. It's we Donna. Were. It's spectacular. <laughs> Thank you, Lee Huckman, because he really curated it. Mm -hmm. But it was the first bar outside of Manhattan to ever win Best New Bar in New wow. York City. And so, that's, so we've sort of seen and lived this trend, but I wouldn't leave Brooklyn now. And I was the biggest snob third generation Manhattan, but now I love Brooklyn to such a degree. I All right, we got we to gotta leave right there. Okay. We, there is so much more to talk about. I'm, I'm still interested in the people connection that we always talk about here in this program with Brooklyn. Uh, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will come right back. Don't go away.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. I'm going to pay to see that one. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are here with the panel. Matthew Cohen from CORE, uh, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Element. Yes, you got it right. I got it. For recognizing my company of the last five and a half years. I went to the editor and said, change that. Please. I love Halstead, too. It is an honor to be associated with you guys, but I'm Element all the way. (laughs) It's a Halstead bro show today. I get it. All right, so Ari Harkoff is here from Halstead Real Estate as well. And Warner Lewis is here from Hallside. Warner is partner with Ari in the very successful team of Harkov Lewis team, and they're consistently either number one or number two. We apologize to Warner for having to handle our interest. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to have the top producing team here in the studio with us today. All right, so we talked about, you know, how things have, have changed through the years. And, you know, when I was younger, I always loved Brooklyn. I still love Brooklyn. But, you know, people always say that, you know, there are the, better, the people connections are better in Brooklyn. People are more neighborhood-like in Brooklyn. I guess I need, I never lived there, so I, I need for you all to please help me understand why is that? I mean, you, you just described Warner living, growing up on the Upper East Side, moving to the East Village, and now settled with your family in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which happens to be a great place to be. But but what do you see about the, the people there that is so, I mean, people tell me vastly different mm-hmm. from Manhattan people. What, what, what What's the key? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is most people who have made that move are going through the same part of their life together. They're making the move specifically. I made the move. I'm a bit of a planner sometimes. I will argue about that in other ways. <laughs> but we moved specifically to buy a three-bedroom after being in a one-bedroom because we wanted to start a family and we didn't want to buy a two, have a kid, and then like, great, and grow out of it. Right. We're done. Um, and there seemed to be so many people who had that same thought. The thing that funny thing about Williamsburg is it was developed for Unix. There were no large apartments. Everyone thought it was just going to be hipsters who were going to party and then move on. 
And what's happened is there was something in the water, and there are now more children in Williamsburg than anyone ever would have imagined, <laughs> which is why Domino Park yeah. and exactly. other things are huge additions to the neighborhood. But I think it's a lot of people at one time made the move together, that leap, the exact leap that I made, which was I, at the time I was buying Post Lehman, so I was like, I, I love this deal. I just hope I like the neighborhood. And so many people took that plane, that same plunge. It was a, basically become a shared experience. And yes, a lot of people have moved on, but a lot more people than I think anyone would have expected have stayed, like myself, who love it because New York City is all about the neighborhood. It's all about access to the best of the best in a very short period of time. And there is no micro-neighborhood that I can think of, like Williamsburg, where you have, again, three of the top ten restaurants in New York City, four of the best coffee places, nightlife down the street, which I no longer partake in. Um, and not just, even in your bar? Not, at our bar, I was actually there this weekend until 1.30 in the morning, but uh-huh. I, I was nursing a beer for about two hours of that. But uh, it's, it's amazing. It's in, that is what New York City is, and that's what Brooklyn didn't have. There was that lack of retail density, and now it's just exploded to where you have everything in Manhattan in Brooklyn. Um, I would like to give a, a, an, also an older and another side uh, view of that. So I moved to the South Slope when I was 22, and um, that's a lot of years ago, and we won't count them. However, five And there was not thank you uh, for 90. <laughs> no, there um, there was there were not a lot of. Um, people venturing in the same way and we went there because we wanted that community and so we all went there we all raised our children similar to um what you're talking about in Williamsburg but the difference between doing that in Brooklyn and doing that anywhere else is I will walk down the street and see children I have known since birth who will come up to me and show me their children and I will see their parents and and that connection that longevity, that history is so unprecedented in most neighborhoods. And now the trend is people who are selling their homes and want to stay put. They don't want the vertical living. They don't want the responsibility of the house. And they want to retire in their neighborhood. And that's a, a trend that we have been seeing. I'm going to say the same thing. Um, I moved to Brooklyn from Manhattan as a lifer in Manhattan. And my whole family thought it was outrageous to move across <laughs> to Brooklyn. Why? And we moved to a, a kind of a gritty spot of the uh, kind of the borderline between Carroll Gardens and Gowanus. And at the time, I wouldn't even walk down the end of my block. And now there's ample hills and all sorts of places and um, Pig Beach and so many Lavender Lake. I can go on and on about all the wonderful restaurants, Runner and Stone. You could, it's just endless, <clears throat> endless, endless. And the people who moved there at the time moved there because the spaces were kind of gritty. And now that's something that we've lost a little bit because it's just surrounded by condo, 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 new development. And some of the people who've lived there are feeling like we moved to this neighborhood because of that gritty feeling, because of that edginess. But people stay. Well, they similar, remain and they feel committed to, to that. Similar to what Tribeca was yeah. way exactly. back when. Yes. When I was looking at apartments 20 years ago, 22 years ago in Tribeca, it was gritty. Mm-hmm. And that's the re- one of the reasons I liked it there because it wasn't on your major you know, beaten path. It was kind of quiet. <clears throat> Although there was not a lot of retail then at that moment in time, of course it followed, and now you've got you know all these new glass condos there as well. But it's interesting to see how that has morphed into a lot more than it ever was, 
and Brooklyn, the same thing. So on that note, 40 years ago, Bay Ridge is still staying alive. If you recall, Bay Ridge is the location in Brooklyn where the film Saturday Night Fever was filmed back in 1977. Love that so movie. So we're still talking about Gritty. We love that movie. <laughs> my, my, my theme movie, okay. <laughs> the neighborhood remains steep with the spirit of Saturday Night Fever that jet-fueled the waning fa- uh, fad of disco and showcased uh, the cravings of some bridge and tunnel Brooklynites. Bridge and tunnel then. Now it is no longer <laughs> But that's my point, okay? Uh, to shed their blue-collar origins in favor of Manhattan's fickle glitter and glamorous lifestyle. Playground of the rich, as as Ari said a little while ago in Manhattan. Now listen, but back in those days, this is what was on the mind of Brooklynites, okay? I need to leave here. I need to shed here. This is where I grew up. I don't want to see families on the street that I grew up with, you know, all of my life. I need to get into the city and let life start. The movie was completely all about that. So we have completely changed from there to here. And it's interesting to see how we've gone back to where this sort of left off. Thoughts on that? Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think we touched on a little bit earlier, but I think Brooklyn has become not only a national, but a global brand. Mm-hmm. And Oakland is Absolutely. the Brooklyn of San Francisco. And, you know, people look at, you know, all these brands now want to be in Brooklyn to have a retail presence, to talk about it. The Brooklyn brownstone or townhouse is this aesthetic that people aspire to across the world. The Brooklyn aesthetic, whatever that means, exposed brick, you know, kind of funky, different, interesting. So it's become this very powerful global brand, which is drawing people in. And then you layer on the community and the restaurants and everything else in the lifestyle that we've talked about. But I think that, that the brand piece is enormous and can't be underestimated. And we talked about this idea of plunging. Well, Warner brought up the idea of plunging. And we just <laughs> heard, you know, Warner and Trish and Beth's a whole story about going out to Brooklyn. And I think that something that, that says is that, you know, New York City is a city of communities. And, and I think what's been interesting over the past 30, 40 years is that you've seen communities move together, you know, communities stay together. Um, look at, look at Jews. I mean, we all like, we, we all move around the world together. Like we, like literally, like one of us, one of us is like, we're going to move to Jamaica and we all move. I mean, like, so, so I think, you know, so the social aspect of Plunging to Brooklyn has been a major thing over the last like 40 years. But then I think what you're seeing now with the popularity of Brooklyn and over the next 10 years is that that plunge has turned commercial. And I think that that commercial aspect is everyone always used to say they're so cool because they live in Brooklyn. They commute to Manhattan for work. And now all the companies in Manhattan are moving out to Brooklyn, like J.P. Morgan. Um, You know, Google is opening an office like we talked about, all the WeWork offices. So now people are almost instead of doing the reverse commute, they're just staying in BK. Well, as as Gary said, it's it's become more of a global you know, uh, attraction, more of a global enterprise. All right, moving on. The uptick in mortgage interest rates. Wait, as well I'm as so the- sorry, Vince. Just yeah. before we finish with the Brooklyn chapter, I just want to say. Well, no, been, this is still Brooklyn. I, I've, I've been uncharacteristically quiet, and it's because I am not usually the contrarian voice, but I've lived in Manhattan for 22 years. Me I too. love Manhattan. I do do business in Brooklyn, but I would rather pay more for smaller space for the charm, ease, and convenience of living in Manhattan. However, Don't that you. being said, <laughs> no, no, no. That, so you're coming into Brooklyn. That being said, Vince, you should package this to the borough of Brooklyn as a great PR. I mean, this is amazing. You guys are making me rethink my position and fall in love with the charm and neighborhood and community and longevity and lack of attrition in Brooklyn. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm not can, kidding. If I can add my two cents to that, 
but I also live here for 25 years, whatever, uh, more being commuting in. But anyway, if I were to do it over again, and this is not just based on this show and this topic, but I think I would start out in Brooklyn. And I've said that way back then. You might end up well, in Brooklyn. Oh, my <laughs> God. I motherhood let you buy I don't believe that for a second. Vince, like, won't take the subway. Every time I see him on social media, he's complaining about the taxis. And you would never take a taxi <laughs> from Brooklyn everywhere. No way. But we, but we have Via now, so we, yes. I mean, that's what I do. I do not take taxis. I go on record with it. But 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 when I when I started out, friends and family said Brooklyn, right. no, don't even go there. So I mean, this is back in in those Saturday night fever yeah. days. Okay, yeah. so yeah. that that's where we've all come. I would start there again. Anyway, moving on. The uptick in mortgage interest rates is one of the factors hurting the Manhattan residential market, which had a bumpy. Second quarter this year, hitting first-time buyers in particular. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. According to sales reports, sales and prices were down, and inventory was up uh, year over year in the second quarter. Is this also affecting uh, Brooklyn first-time buyers? Interest rates hiking up first-time buyers in Brooklyn. What is their opinion? What is their attitude on this? So I would first like to give a big shout-out to any first-time buyer in New York City because it really is a big nut. that you're taking hold of and doing, and um, there's no better place to do that than in New York. But I do think, and then I will um, let Beth speak because she's kicking me under the table. No, joking. Um, But in any case, um, I think that those are having an impact on a certain segment of new buyers, but they are still coming out there. They want a piece of the pie, and they're figuring out how to make it happen, whether it's what they originally had their eye on or they're scaling it back a little bit. Because in New York, you can scale back a little bit, and in a few years, we talked about how long people stay in their places. In a few years, you can trade up from there. You know, it's a unique Excuse me, unique market in that you can do that. I, I mean, I think people are taking a little bit of a pause. And I think one of the things is sometimes with real estate, which I think is an interesting thing, you see prices go down and people get nervous. You look at a sale somewhere at a store, Macy's, Gimbal, whatever you name it, Gimbal's, there's no more. But you'd look at a store, <laughs> a sale at I mean, a you store, are you know, but I dated myself terribly. You were Amazon, The point is, you see a sale going on somewhere, and people run. They just kind of dash. They knock you over to get to it. But they see the prices dip a little bit. And people get really nervous, and they sit tight, and they watch interest rates kind of creeping up. And even though they still continue to be excellent, people pause, and it just makes them a little nervous to see real estate dip even the slightest bit. Agreed. And, and I want to add, and I think, you know, Warren and I have always seen this over the years in our business, the, the depth of affluence both in New York and the money that comes to New York is continually astounding to me. Mm-hmm. And Brooklyn is not immune to that. So, there have been very few buyers that I've worked with over the years who have been really on the edge of what they could afford. Most of our clients are buying well within their means, both in terms of their liquidity, the assets they have access to, as well as their income and debt-to-income ratio, what have you. So when interest rates move 50 basis points or 25 or 75, whatever it is, for most of those buyers, they can still buy. And interest rates historically, obviously we all in this room remember, are still at very, very low levels. If rates move from four and a quarter to six and a quarter overnight, that's a very different conversation. But when they move from three point 0.75 up 50 basis points to 4.25, the market is still there and people are still buying. And I think to a certain extent, it gets absorbed within reason. But do you think the mindset, though, of the buyer, whether it's here in Manhattan or Brooklyn or all over New York City, do you think, though, because I agree with you 100%, but do you think mm. that they think that maybe at some point and in the short term we'll mm. get to that 6.5? Maybe not. But I also say to them, so, you know, your insurance, you know, package to, to keep you from getting there is to buy now. Do it mm-hmm. now exactly. before it does get to 6.5. And oh, by the way, if we do get there, you're safe. 
You're mm-hmm. in, you're mm-hmm. safe. But I think Ari's right. I mean, it depends on what the jump is. People are very aware of first-time buyers and interest rates. I mean, I work with a lot of them just because of my age. Um, but personal, sort of like when I bought last year, I remember I was looking around like a million and I was not thinking of Brooklyn, no offense. And and so, um, you know, all the op- open houses I would go to and the apartments I would see in New York, in Manhattan, were filled. Were filled to the brim. I mean, everyone wanted it. It was like just under a million or like just over a million. And then... Um, I did just for, you know, shits and giggles, go to Brooklyn Heights to see a co-op and it was dead. So, so I actually think, you know, both from my own experience and with my experience uh, with my clients, um, more of them stretch for their first time buy in Brooklyn because they can, because in Manhattan, most first time buyers buy a co-op. And I find that because there are more condos in Brooklyn, that more first-time buyers buy a condo of which you could then finance more. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting listening to this conversation because, um, you know, we're talking about the amount of wealth and affluence and wherewithal. But there's also that other layer of buyers who are, are like digging in deep to be here that are mm. trying to purchase at the same level as those with affluence and trying to figure out how to put their offers together so they can do it. And I find it so interesting sitting here with everyone because we really are, it's such a mix of buyers that you're talking about. So again, it's hard to pinpoint one perspective. And that's why I always say, you know, for all of us experienced agents here, it's key for us to always understand who we're dealing with because every buyer profile is different. Mm -hmm. It could be in the same price point. It could be in various different price points, but every buyer profile is different. And it's our job to understand what they can do and what they can't do, and then properly advise, of course, you know, that that's that's the goal. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Quickly, before we go to break, since 2010, Brooklyn has evolved into a thriving hub of entrepreneurship and high-technology startup firms and postmodern art and design, and Ari touched on this a little while ago, where it's become more global, it's becoming more commercial. Why are they settling these companies? And Matt mentioned, you know, Google before. Why are they settling in Brooklyn? Is it because it's still cheaper to get in from a corporation standpoint or because they think it's still hot and there are people who are going to live there and want to work for these firms. I think it's a mix. I mean, I think it's access to local talent. I think it is the brand. I think it's um, the cost of space. I think it's the type of space that's available. I think it's a mix of all of the above. If you look at, I mean, none of us are office brokers here, but you know, we look a little bit at the data. If you look at office vacancy rates in New York City, Brooklyn is the lowest vacancy rate of any office leasing market in the city. Interesting. It has been for quite some time. Interesting. There's not a lot of product. There are a lot of companies that want to be there, and there's a lot of local talent. And to Matt's point, you can get your talent now to walk to work or bike to work or take one or two subway rides as opposed to commuting across a river. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blast Off Productions. <clears throat> Here in New York City, this is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. 
It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Going from CORE, the one and only Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elementary, Harkoff from Halstead Real Estate, Warner Lewis uh, from Halstead Real Estate, and Beth Kugel and Trish Martin from uh, management out in our Halstead offices in Brooklyn. All right, it's been called Dumbo's game-changing project, a huge residential complex called 85J on a long, fallow three-acre site at the key location bounded by New York Front, by York Front, J and Bridge Streets. It's all, it, it'll have big impact. The complex, uh, the complex could boost Dumbo's population by 25%. My God, we don't need that. Uh, adding street life, retail, connectivity, and buzz to an already hot neighborhood, plus putting strain on some of the in uh, the antiquated uh, infrastructure that, that currently exists in Dumbo. So, you know, my, my thought was when I was reading this story, isn't Dumbo at its peak already? It's not a very big landscape. There are lots of people who live there, lots of brand new glassy and glitzy condo towers how much more can can dumbo absorb and i kind of like it the way it is right i think it's always going to have that panache of being the you know first glitzy neighborhood of brooklyn the the tribeca of brooklyn i think it'll always have that cobblestone vibe yeah. you know um but that's what i like people about people still i mean i always compare it to tribeca so think about tribeca these days how much more can they build and they keep doing it and they keep selling it out because it's tribeca i think dumbo will always have that i think it'll always have the bridge i think it'll always have the great you know name um it always have the views and more than anything in my opinion is it'll always have the first stop on the F. Proximity. You can't, it, you know, you can't argue with proximity. Exactly. I mean, you just can't. Correct. But, but again, you know, when you try and squash more people into an already overpopulated, I think, you know, area or neighborhood, it, doesn't that also change the dynamic of the neighborhood? I mean, you well, know. 
I, w- I would um, venture. I mean, all the wonderful things that we were talking about, Brooklyn, right? And right. here we are, yeah. you know, adding more. So, Well, a lot of neighborhoods are experiencing this. And I think that this development is a little bit like on the edge of the heart of Dumbo. I don't think the heart of Dumbo is going to be pressed. And it's a little bit like what happened in Williamsburg. So I was hoping that Warner and Ari would maybe <laughs> go down that road and say what it's like to, to be there. But when you talk about the antiquated infrastructure... You have a really great point because the Clark Street subway has that elevator, two elevators that yeah. go down. Yeah. You could wait forever. You know, you have to build that into your community It's a time. very busy and subway And then J station. Street is a little narrow entranceway. I mean, um, York Street, mm-hmm. that subway is a little narrow entranceway. And if you go at the uh, right time or the wrong time, it could take a while to get in and out. So there may be an impact. But I would venture to say most people that live there jump in an Uber, jump in a cab. Bye. Yes. That would be Walk, That would be. Via. But I was hoping that you would share some perspective based on what you've seen in in Williamsburg. I'd, I'd say it's more in New York as a whole. It always happens where they're the people who are originally there, and then the new wave comes in. Like, oh God, I wish it was just the way that it was. And then the new wave, and I guess I would be that in Williamsburg says the next wave is like, oh, my God, this is too much. And that's just New York City. It's how it's always right. been. It started from the port out. And right. now everything that has been, the, the way has been paved, there will be more development and more until there literally can't be any more. Mm. And it's because everyone wants to be somewhere once it's hit that tipping point. Uh, and Dumbo obviously is way beyond that tipping point of somewhere that people from Manhattan are willing to come and pay top dollar that most people in Brooklyn will not. Hence, developers are very excited about developing and retail is very excited about coming. This is also a big through-block development, so you're going to be adding retail to the particular segment. And to Trisha's point, this isn't in the core core of what we think of as Dumbo. So, you know, I think when you th- when you talk about infrastructure, there's public infrastructure, which is obviously the MTA, which is crumbling and having issues. And then there's private infrastructure, which is essentially retail, restaurants, stores, grocery stores, etc. And the private side is thriving. It's the public side that really isn't keeping pace. Great point. Mm-hmm. And, and the, um, the uh, one hotel mm. uh, has really changed the boundaries yes. of Dumbo yeah. because now Dumbo kind of scooches into that, the far reaches of uh, Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. You might have called it Brooklyn Heights before, but now you call it Dumbo. And now you call it Dumbo. Uh, for all of you fans out there. Well, <laughs> indoors, outdoors. This is for days. a commercial. You are a commercial. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, let, talking about all the new glitz and glamour, let's let's go back a little bit and talk about preservation in Brooklyn and Landmark and Historic Districts. Borne Hill recently uh, has waited decades for this moment. The City Landmarks Preservation Commission just said yes to expanding the neighborhood's historic district. Many of the buildings in the new Borne Hill District extension are constructed either in the 1840s and 1850s or the decades immediately after the Civil War. So, you know, everybody on this program knows that I am a pre-war bigot, okay? Area 1, which is west of the existing historic district, includes blocks of Dean and Bergen Streets between Smith and Hoyt Streets. Area 2, which is east of the existing historic district, includes blocks of Wyckoff and Bergen Streets between Bonn and Nevin Streets. And Area 3, which is north of the existing historic district, includes Pacific Streets, homes between Hoyt and Bonn, and row houses with Victorian wood storefronts on portions of Commercial Corridor Atlantic Avenue between Hoyt and Evans. Great area. Now, you know, so we'll talk about, you know, all of these things. So why is preserving Brooklyn or anywhere, any neighborhood in Manhattan or New York City, I should say, why is it so important for this this city to preserve what we've got and we don't so, want to let go. I'll, I'll, maybe I can start with that. So I, I own a landmark pre-war brownstone that I'm in the process of renovating. Yay. So I am very familiar with what's happening. I think, like all things in life, <clears throat> excuse me, there are pros and cons mm-hmm. to landmarks. So obviously the pro is you're 
Uh, you're saving the fabric of a neighborhood. You're protecting the look and feel. You're protecting it for the future. And ideally, you're also actually protecting and preserving values to a certain extent. And when you walk down landmark blocks in the West Village, Village, Park Slope, Warham Hill, whatever it is, and you see that one house that sticks out as a sore thumb, and they tore it down and they built some sort of modernist structure years ago pre-landmark. Oy vey is, Oy vey is what you think. <laughs> the flip side is... show here. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I, I, there's a Sicilian uh, in the house. I can't touch that. With a name like Ari, I could touch that, but I won't. Um, but the flip side is, as someone who's now on the other side dealing with landmarks, it's an incredibly inefficient mm. process, and it, to a certain extent, penalizes the very people who are looking to preserve the fabric of these neighborhoods. So, like a lot of things in life, it's better in theory than in practice. Overall, I think it is beneficial to the city and to many neighborhoods. Um, and by the way, one of the things that many people don't realize, and I didn't even know this myself as a broker, is most of the landmarks, um, uh, the people at landmarks who are reviewing the applications are volunteers. And they have two to 300 applications sitting at their desk at any time. And I have my neighbor across the street who's basically trashed the front of their house. And I'm being argued over like the color of a lintel yeah. on a pre-war black and white photo from right. the 1930s was I'm putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into my home. So right. it's a very weird, inefficient system. And, and talk about, I liked it the way it was, right? I mean, some people very much appreciate the landmarks because it keeps it the way it was. I happen to live in a, a neighborhood in the South Slope that was just recently landmarked, and I can tell you there's about five blocks worth landmarking there, and everything else that has been landmarked has to stay the way it is, and it's sort of like, really? Yeah, like, yeah. that was not a good idea. Um, including, <laughs> you know, my home, which was, was remuddled, as we like to say, prior to my purchasing it, and now we'd like to um, put it back, but I think it it does a lot for values. It preserves the neighborhoods, and it and then it allows something like the development we're talking about in Dumbo to be on the per- perimeter Correct. of that neighborhood and enjoy what it has to offer. But it, it really is a double whammy. It's, it's like be careful what you wish. Correct, for. because as I always say, you know, in this program and in and, and real estate, real life is you know there's always something for everybody. So you know there there is a need for the preserving of you know old world New York City, mm-hmm. and there is absolutely a need for new developments and 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 you know super talls and all that stuff because people do want that and people do buy that but, uh, but okay, hold on people, oh, I, no, sorry i was just gonna say but also new york is a city like london where we like to preserve the history we're not gonna we don't you know most people don't want this to turn into hong kong that's just not the kind of city we are when you look at the most influential buildings in the city and the most important events in the city's history you look at buildings like the apthorpe the plaza the belnord you right. look at the tenement buildings in the lower east side like this is what shaped new york so as long as we can make the process more efficient for people, um, we want to maintain that preservation. Well, just a, a, a couple of weeks ago in the Times, they were talking about the Muse, and we have Muse in Brooklyn, and we have historic buildings and landmark buildings, and I think that people want to see sky, and we kind of go back to what I was talking about, about mm-hmm. community. People really feel they're in their neighborhood, and they can walk out, and when you're in a neighborhood that's landmarked with uh, a cap on how high these places can go mm-hmm. up, you're looking at sky, and when you're talking about this whole idea of community and building that that's part of it is being able to walk out and have your backyard or have your front yard or have the historic places in Carroll Gardens that Absolutely. have a front yard or a recessed house. Or the stoop. Yeah, the stoop. Oh, the stoop. stoop. Oh, the stoop. That's, that's a whole, whole show. And that's why we work so well together. Listen, I was selling, I was selling a townhouse on the Upper West Side where years ago they removed the stoop and then the, the new owner wanted to put the stoop back on and I was waiting for all this to happen so I could that's list okay. the townhouse, whatever. $20 million townhouse a couple of years ago. 
and landmarks that Stoop didn't arrive for months and months and months and months and months. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, come on now. Because you tell people, well, the house is going to have a Stoop. Well, but it doesn't. Wait, in your lifetime, but it will. Wait, how many months? I didn't get that. <laughs> it was about eight months before the scoop arrived. <laughs> months and months and months. All right, so here, here's another thought. Brooklyn investment property sales languished in 2017, mirroring a trend seen throughout New York City as buyers and sellers failed to meet each other's pricing expectations. No new news. Interest, however, remains strong, particularly in neighborhoods that have been primary targets for institutional capital, such as Williamsburg and downtown Brooklyn. And the slope, the concern about new U.S. presidency, interest rates rising, rent regulation, and the compression of rents kept many Brooklyn real estate investors sidelined early in 17, while market uncertainties dissipated in the second half. It was not enough to have set palpable weakness at the beginning of the year. So where are we today with Brooklyn investors compared to Oi. anywhere else here. It's better, but there's still a investors. Pro- yeah, there's still a problem with the unbelievable amount of rental units that have come to the neighborhood. Yes. There are thirty thousand plus units yes. that have come to the neighborhood. So investors are ones who are very cap rate sensitive are nervous because in the short term the incentives that they have to give really mess with their spreadsheets. Now, Ari and I say this time and time again, if you gave us a blank checkbook, we would go and buy everything in Williamsburg right now because the pullback because of the L train. Correct. I don't care about the rental concessions right now. I think it's up to three months free rent on a 24-month lease, which an individual owner can't do, but obviously someone who has 500 units can do and can stomach it, especially if they bought a very good price five, 10 years ago. But long-term, I think that there is no doubt a good buy in Brooklyn is going to do very well, and especially that tie to Manhattan, that there's a compression between certain parts of pricing in Brooklyn and Manhattan. The high end in Manhattan is so high that Brooklyn isn't even in the stratosphere, Absolutely. but when you look for really good product for that new, let's say, entry into the market who's just left college, a lot of people want to be in Brooklyn and start their horizon in Brooklyn and stay in Brooklyn the way they weren't. 23 years ago when I get out of college. But that infamous spreadsheet that, that exists in both Brooklyn and in Manhattan and the, the infamous cap rate, and oh, I don't know about this or that. I mean, that does exist, and the cap rates that used to exist years ago do not, and I'm not quite sure that they will for a very, very long time, if ever. Well, I mean, prices got completely out of control for that. So with that said, are these guys and gals still still comfortable in understanding that your investment is different today, but it can still make sense because no one really pays attention to the time value of money. And over time, that investment that you paid X for today, regardless of what your cap rate is today, it's going to increase by fourfold, fivefold if you wait long enough. So why isn't that enough? And I, and I you know, you bang your head against the wall with investors here in Manhattan who, who don't want to understand that either. But it's a simple fact, and it's a simple truth. Well, being an ex-banker, I do those Excel sheets on a daily basis for clients, and I can tell you the investors are investors. And at the end of the day, whether you're in Brooklyn, Queens, or Manhattan, you just have to shift the idea of investment as the market shifts. So, you know, investing was great in the last 10 years when you had 421As and J51 abatements. And now that you don't have those, you have to change your thinking. And the way my investors have changed their thinking is buying smaller buildings without amenities that have low monthlies. So your monthly and annual costs are much less, therefore making your caps better. Buying buildings that have four or five units in Manhattan, don't buy, you know, in a huge building that has high monthly because you have no tax abatement and you think that you know those amenities are going to generate more rent they won't 
you know, people like space, people like location. So it's just the idea of the investment shifts. And the interesting thing that we're seeing, um, you talked about Bay Ridge earlier. The interesting thing that we're seeing there is the longtime investors from years ago who have these sponsor units that they've been holding and renting are now starting to release them because mm-hmm. holding them and renting them isn't as lucrative. And they're thinking, okay, maybe I'll just sell a few and that'll support the other cost. And we're talking about folks who own, you know, hundreds of buildings throughout Brooklyn when no one else was buying there. And I, I agree with you. If I had a blank checkbook, I would just go around and purchase All right, unfortunately, we are out of time. That's it for me. That's our show for today. Thank you to my guests, Beth, Trish, and Warner today. Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in the world. Thanks, Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Be kind to one another, one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.